welcome to the House of Learning podcast, produced by A Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburo and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. Today we're talking about patriarchy in the Old Testament. Hi everyone, the podcast classic is back with us, it's me and Molly, Um, things feel right with the world to me, Um, (laughs) and we have started a class uh, on gender and ministry, Um, we, because we've ordained a couple of new women pastors recently, and um, we've been doing a bit more team teaching and so a couple of those women we've started to see teaching a bit more it's provoked some questions we're like Mm -hmm. oh hang on a second we haven't really seen this yeah is Westside changing its stance or is it just that we've got different people and no Westside has had a soft complementarian view um so we're not changing our stance but we do have different people and I would say and we're growing into yeah what's it really mean to be soft content like how can we do this Mm -hmm. so I think we're growing as well Mm -hmm. but it's not a change of theology or anything like that but um they're really good questions and in our culture um you know uh, just like culture outside the church um like what what ground do we hold for Mm -hmm. women and men and gender and male female um you know there's there could be like a, a clash there but also within the church, there's a lot of division and mm-hmm. mayhem. There could be clashes there. So we want people at Westside to kind of really be able to be grounded in what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. So the ground we stand on, the space we hold, can be we can, I don't know, acknowledge, feel like, man, we're doing the best we can to try and occupy biblical space yes. and hold that space. Yep. So lots of Bible stuff. And mm-hmm. so if you missed the class, that's okay. You probably saw on the podcast feed the first couple of hours, week one, got posted. Mm-hmm. And so if you were just in your car thinking, oh, another podcast and listen, you were like, oh, this is different. Mm-hmm. That's right. thought, well, what better place to put recordings of a class than next to the podcast? Yes. It's all there in one place. Yes. Uh, and so if you haven't listened to the class, we're going to kind of assume you have. So if some of what we say today about the Old Testament doesn't make sense and we keep talking about Genesis and things like that, go back a couple of steps and you can catch that content in the previous couple of releases. Mm-hmm. But where we kind of landed in the class, we talked about this beautiful vision in Genesis 1 and 2 where male and female are created equal and commissioned equally to mm-hmm. the task and, I don't know, kind of ontology like what they are of being image bearers Mm -hmm. being royal uh priests Mm -hmm. who are going to exercise divine authority together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and are going to image god together to creation yes and uh and then we hit genesis 3 things go to pot a little bit Mm -hmm. but we noted that the image bearing the tasks they're given the things like that are they remain 
but the nature of the consequences of those things are now going to be frustrating. Like there's a brokenness, there's mm -hmm. a painfulness, there's a, a corruption mm -hmm. of their ability to do those things. But it's still like, that's still God's design. Mm -hmm. It's just that the design, I don't know, it's like some sort of industrial sabotage. Like someone got in mm -hmm. the drawings and deleted a bunch of things and it like yeah. the building's not quite working the way it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, and so so we talked about that length, and that kind of leaves us with an, I don't know, somewhat of an elephant in the room. We're like, okay, so God seems to have idealized a lot of equality, and there may be some questions still about like, there may be some gender differentiation mm -hmm. there, Genesis one or two, and godly people who love Jesus and deeply love and want to study the scriptures well um you know disagree about that yes. so that's the sort of thing we use the term in the class like that we might write our answers in pencil on that one and it that is definitely not an issue where like we would divide over yes. or disfellowship or want to attack people yeah like in fact i think molly and i think differently mm -hmm. over that and we can serve alongside and partner each other mm -hmm. and the the number of places that the kind of all differentiation that i like mull over and wonder might be there like how that affects us partnering in the gospel it's like it doesn't. i don't know if we've ever run into it actually <laughs> it doesn't it's teeny, teeny, <laughs> tiny because the biggest voice coming out of those verses is talking about the similarity between men and women yes and, and that's i think that's, that's something to lean into yeah that's something important to note is the scriptures testify to far more similarities in mission and identity when it comes to both male and female. And yet we've made a, a bigger conversation around the differences when the scriptures are not evoking bigger conversations around the differences. They're inviting us to marvel at the similarities and to acknowledge them. Yeah. And, I, and I think to even just going back just a minute, I had a thought when you were framing up this conversation um, I think the American education system, I'm taking you on a journey, but it will be brief. The American education system is really good at t teaching you what to think. Okay. A the, bit more indoctrination than exploration. Yes. Vibes. And I think it's helpful to note that the one of the goals in in this class, or as we take you guys on a journey, is to help us on how to think better. And the difference mm -hmm. between what to think and how to think might feel small, but I think it's important because I think sometimes there's an expectation that we come to a class like this and we open the scriptures and depending upon what Richard and I say, you'll say, okay, well, since this is what I think, this is what you think, this is all I'm going to get out of the class rather than an open-mindedness to say how we think about this topic may need to change and calibrate and recalibrate based on our experience, based on our upbringing, based on the um, tradition and doctrine that maybe we have been influenced by up until this point. Just wanted to highlight that yeah. before we get going. Especially, and especially because the tone of these conversations is often one of like conflict and fight rather than I bet we could learn from each other and mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, that was a good detour. I can't really remember where we were going. We were going, we were, to going we were heading to the elephant. 
yes. in the room. So God's Beyond ideal, Genesis. Yeah. God's ideal then is like sameness really seems to be in the foreground. But there may be, okay, question mark, write in pencil. There may be some differences to, to think about. Yep. Um, after the fall, differences seem to, uh, or the prominence of difference and a sort of power struggle seems to be uh, a little bit of part of the problem, part mm-hmm. of the consequence of the fall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what we see in the rest of the Old Testament is a huge amount of patriarchy. Yes. So the ancient Near East, predominantly patriarchal cultures, mm-hmm. um, and quite strongly, um, you know, we're not going to get time to do a deep dive, but the like general vibes outside of Israel, you know, women are property rather than the kind of people that can own property. They're kind of defective humans, mm-hmm. um, not fully human. Um Yep. The the amount of rights they have to have a voice, protect themselves, is virtually nil. Yep. Um, you know, if you I think sometimes we teach when we like talk about the Bible and the cultures, sometimes we talk a bit more about slavery and just how bad slavery could be. Um and you need to realise that like a woman in the ancient Near East in these ancient cultures versus the worst of a slave, yeah, the women might be worse. Mm-hmm. Like in, in, in a lot that, of these in cultures, context, yeah. yeah, in a lot mm-hmm. of these cultures, um, and and yes, there's exceptions, there's variety. It's a variegated picture, but that's that's the kind of world that yes. God steps into to call an Abraham or do something with Noah or and on and on and on through the the history mm-hmm. that we're reading through in the Hebrew Bible, mm-hmm. and so I guess and and someone asked this question after the class. So I think one really good question is like, well, if God's ideal is to really emphasize the sameness, why didn't he just make that thing? Why didn't he accomplish that really quickly and like manage to like lock that in place? Sure. Because it, it, that, you know, if God was trying, it didn't work out. <laughs> sure, yeah. But then I guess the follow-up question is, was God trying? Yeah, did God just be like, eh, patriarchy's fine. We're well with that. Or was he trying to move the needle? Was he trying to uh, change things? Mm -hmm. And so there are sort of questions to get into a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think it does, not that this is another podcast for another time. Maybe you've already recorded a podcast because this is right up your alley. But the the interchange and interaction between God's sovereignty and his divine will and human freedom and ability to choose. I'm sure that has cropped up. Yes. influences yes. this as well. Yeah. And that's that's an interesting... Um, it influences the expectations we have that we then bring to the narrative that shapes what we take away from it. Mm-hmm. So if we have an assumption that God's the kind of being who just is in absolute control of everything, like everything that happens is a divine dictate. Mm. Everything in the universe is the way God intends it like to be. Yeah. Like it, it is his best. This is the best possible world. It's the one God intends. Then we're going to read all the narratives and we're never going to ask the question like, oh, the thing I'm reading about, is this trying to teach me that this is normative? It, by which I mean... This is what God thinks should be normal, thinks should be right. Is God trying to teach me this is the way things are supposed to be? Right. Um, 
Or is it descriptive? Mm-hmm. Is it descriptive of a scenario where, um, you know, there's a hot mess going on and God's trying to move the needle? Yeah. Like God's inserting himself and trying to do something but not accomplish all of his intentions mm-hmm. at that moment in time? Mm-hmm. You know, is, he, is there more of a journey rather than, you know, I'm just going to clear house, get yep. everything back to the way it should be? Yep. And so, um, yeah, that that like... The theological station. assumption we have about how God operates then shapes how we read the Bible. Yep. So if we want to know, should we have that assumption, how we should test it is go to the Bible. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's catch 22. And we're like, yeah, but it's really hard to come to the Bible with no assumption right. to find if that assumption is, is true. And this is where like two things that really help. One is talking to people who hold different theological views to you that you can both have your assumptions tested. Yep. And the other is being aware if you have that assumption mm-hmm. and learning about how it influences how you read. Uh, that can really help you uh, be aware of um, how much you're bringing to the text. Yes. And and just with experience, I think you develop a feel sometimes for, oh, yeah, like I brought an awful lot to what I took away from that before I'd even got to the text. Mm-hmm. Like the text wasn't the loudest voice in the room. Yes. My assumptions were. Yep. And you can just start to gauge that. Yep. And so, I mean, so that is a big topic for to, to talk that in detail. Mm-hmm. We can't do that today. Um, but I, we can let the cat out the bag that most people um, at Westside still think that God is sovereign, mm-hmm. but think that God's best intended will of like this is ideal mm-hmm. like this is the way it should be is not reflected in creation and god's sovereignty it, it's not limited because he's not powerful or doesn't know what he's doing mm-hmm. or can't get it done or right. something like that but because god actually cares about the people in yes. the story yes. and and the beauty of his creation in the story he's trying to take it on a journey to redeem it um, which is part of the Noah narrative we're supposed to take away from, like, oh, clean slateism of just let's destroy doesn't work right. with these human with hu- like free human creatures. Right. It doesn't work. The pattern just continues. The to pattern be. continues, and and actually, what's needed is something deeper and richer. Yes, and so yeah, so God's sovereign, but the way God's exercising his sovereignty is the way God's interacting at any moment might not be, oh, God's making something the best, which means everything we're reading is normative. But we have to be a bit more nuanced and ask like, okay, what what are the principles here mm-hmm. of what's been going before mm-hmm. that help me understand what God's trying to accomplish at this moment mm-hmm. and it not being everything? Mm-hmm. And so, and that's why, yeah, if you read the Bible that way, Genesis 1 and 2 are so foundational. Yep. Because they become an anchor for like, okay, I understand God's ideal. Yep. He's shown me that. And then I understand how and in what ways we got away from it. Yep. And now I, I, I try to situate every little moment of everything else I'm reading on the spectrum between those two mm-hmm. and see like how God is trying to move things back yes. to redeem them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a little theological orientation yes of, of reading these things awesome. and and there's a word we sometimes use um well it's not a word it's two words <laughs> to talk about a this phrase. which is uh, divine accommodation mm-hmm. um and so if god 
you know, cares about the people, doesn't want to just like stomp all over and destroy some of their ability to internalize and contextualize the divine plan, then he's going to have to like allow a little space for them to be who they are at the moment in order to create the shared space to interact with them and move, transform, teach, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things. Mm-hmm. We, and this is, you know, uh, when we talk theology, you're like, oh, it sounds a bit weird. But if we just put that in the context of parenting, it's totally what we do. Mm. You know, like you're parenting a child who hasn't learned all the skills, hasn't understood the lessons. And what you can't do every time they do something wrong is drop a ton of bricks on them and explain every single thing they don't yes. know and can't do yet. Yep. What you have to do if they're going to grow, not just be defeated, is pick a fight and have a strategy for how you're going to grow that in them. Yeah. And that's this is like God being a good parent. So this is this is God's strategy. Um, so so I guess if that's uh, you know if that's the case, then what we should do is read our Old Testament and realize God steps into the story in a way that God we see God start to be like, okay, I'm going to start to put like the heaven and earth restored way into place now. Mm. Like I'm going to start building it in Genesis 12 when he calls Abraham. And so there's a, there's a hot mess that's risen up, mm-hmm. you know, and God's like, okay, I'm now going to start to make like a new Eden mm. reality mm-hmm. by calling a family mm-hmm. and starting to teach and shape them. And, and through them, spread the edenness mm-hmm. to push the darkness out and and restore the earth yeah and it's i think it's significant to point out too um moving slightly away from the ge- the you know gender conversation for just a moment what we see get um uh, you know cursed or thwarted in the genesis 3 narrative land and seed depending upon uh like for adam it, it acknowledges that the land that he wor- will work on is going to be tougher. And for Eve, the seed, uh, there's, you know, there's going to be pain in childbirth. They, they themselves don't get cursed. That's significant. We pointed that out in the class. But in Genesis 12, the promises of God that are, uh, you know, cracked open and given to Abraham as he projects a uh, preferred future for him and invites him on the the redemptive narrative to play a key role in a covenant mm. is land and seed. So he's already like he he promises land, he promises seed, and he promises to bless. And I think that there's a significance to call out that God. It seems as though sometimes we think like, oh, Genesis three happened, and then we don't see acknowledgement of redemption until Jesus comes on the scene. No, there's a story being built here that climaxes in the person of Jesus. But we see not even nine chapters later that God is already wanting to restore the very thing that he acknowledges is broken and thwarted as a result of human choice. Yeah, I love that. It's so beautiful. I'm going to give like a hot tip because something the Bible Project is doing this year, they've released an app. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they've done explanations of each book to give you a heads up what's in them. They've done some themes, some biblical words, things like that. Um, what they're stepping into is like a new phase of their project is trying to help us read the Bible where we can spot the important themes to help us tie it together and read better. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, uh, all along the Bible project, I think 
there's a sh- part of why we love them is there's, there's a sh- shared understanding of the importance of the beginning of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've done uh, some stuff uh, on uh, priesthood recently, like drawing yeah. themes out of Genesis. I think they're doing something about trees, where trees in the garden, and then like how does that theme continue rolling yep. out? Yep. Because the rest of the Bible is littered, littered with this like echoes of Eden. Mm. Um, and it can really help us um, see this big meta-narrative when yeah. we read our Bibles. So recommendation to you, as you read your Bibles, download the app. You don't have to read the Bible in the app. But if there's like a podcast or a video or anything that relates to the bit you're reading, it's all right there, yep. really accessible. Yep. So I'm, I think it's awesome. They've, they've done a great job of getting the, their resources to help us do that out there. So that's yeah. a hot tip. Yeah, great hot tip. Yeah. So that's divine accommodation. That's like, that's maybe what's going on and how, how we should read it. So mm-hmm. to be really clear then, there's a lot of patriarchy in the Old Testament. Yes. And so whether that reflects what God, how things, how, sorry, oh goodness, whether that reflects how God wants things to be, that was not a hard sentence. Why was that hard? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, whether whether that's God's, design or not um or whether it's just a reality and god is stepping into the clue that's going to help us answer that question is do we see god doing anything significant that's counter the culture where he seems to be either like celebrating something that's counter the patriarchal culture or establishing things like enduring patterns or laws or things like that that seem to be pushing back on, like trying to move the needle. Yep. And so what we need to do is a bit of move the needle spotting. Yep. And we'll do that. We'll, we can look at some laws, patterns, um, and hopefully, because our intro has taken 21 minutes so far, <laughs> um, <laughs> hopefully what we can do, um, Molly and I would love to do a few of our like, oh, here's some favorite mm-hmm. characters that mm-hmm. get us thinking yep. as well. So um, I should we, should we start with some of the like, structures in god's people in israel um so yeah. i've got a few great to throw out great. and you jump in molly and okay. say something about them okay. as well so um and we're not going to read all the scriptures but i will try and put some of these references in the notes i'd highly recommend opening your bible getting the notes at some point and just reading these bits of the bible for yeah. yourself so you can like i saw it for myself yeah it's actually there yeah don't take our word for it don't that's like a weird Listen to us and don't trust us. <laughs> You've got to see it for yourself. It's yep. really powerful. Yep. So Numbers 27, there's an example of women inheriting property. And this is like, this is so profoundly countercultural um, for, for women to have ownership of property in the ancient Near East is bizarre. Uh, and it's it partly it flips on its head the paradigm of women being perceived as property. I mean, I mean, this would be like, you know, I'm trying to buy a house and the mortgage lender's like, oh, are you the only signee? And it's like, oh, yeah, well, me and the car. Like, no, like a car's yeah. not, it's not the type of thing right. that can own property. Right. Like you've made a category mistake. Yeah. Like that's how profoundly bizarre this is in, in 99% of the ancient Near East. So I, and that's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we can sort of mm-hmm. miss the extra significance. Like, oh, they own property. Cool. Um, but it, it set a paradigm in place for women 
because not being able to own property um, meant like any calamity that befell them, like a male they were dependent on dying, mm. which the amount of disease and war, like yep. we, we live in the modern world where death is relatively rare until we get old. That's not the world of the ancient mm. Near East. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot of women this, in this position um, are just left destitute mm. like utterly bereft mm. of any voice any any way to take care of themselves or their children or family anymore um like the ownership of property is such a key for their ability to like when they are not able to subsist in the sociological norm which was male provision and protection yeah yeah. Even though they still work to contribute to the provision, <laughs> but but property was such a key ingredient of it, um, and is similar yeah. to today. I mean, we don't have to stretch yeah. our minds too much to acknowledge that owning property is a substantial way to be able to find financial security in the modern world yeah. as well. So I mean, well, and you know, we don't want to get too far from the point here, but like that's why, uh, like issues, at, like I mean just localize it even to Oregon, like just how recently it was that black people were yes. allowed to own property yeah. and why that was important. Right. There's a whole like understanding sociology and economics conversation there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, that's a really key one. I, I like, and it, it sets an enduring precedent in Israel that women are, are people too. They're yep. not, not just property. Yep. And, uh, that, women can and should be able to take care of themselves. So it looks at the, the case of a woman who's become destitute and it's a way of God saying like, no, we don't let that happen. Even though it's weird for you all, give her some, like let her inherit some property. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's allowable. And, you know, the confusion that must bring to a patriarchal society where the men are used to being the only ones who can exercise the kind of uh, power to flourish, protect kind of power, you know, to have some women then in the mix, that must have really shook things up. Yeah. Um, you know, just put a spanner in the works of patriarchy. And so it can seem like a small thing, but this it really does pull the rug out of the dynamics of like persisting, growing, mm -hmm. deepening patriarchy. Yeah. And so I, I love that one. It's, it's like such a significant example yep. of, of a law that was really substantial. Yeah, it's good. I can keep throwing these out. Have you got any that come to mind? Well, I have. I don't know if we're wanting I'm, to go. I'm the one with the notebook in front of me. I'm very aware. <laughs> the, uh, I don't know if we're wanting to go chronologically, but... Deborah is like one of my favorite examples. Yes, let's Deborah it. Okay, let's Deborah it. Um, some some context. I don't know if this is how you, maybe you were f taught. Oh, of and this it's story. Judges four. Yes, Judges four. We're in Judges four. Open your Bibles to Judges four. Um, Unless you're driving right now, in which case, do it later. Yes. Um, I. I don't know how you were explained or taught this story, but uh, the, the way I'm that it was... I'm grinning I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> the way I was taught this story was there were no other 
people available, uh, excuse me, no other men available to function in a leadership position during this time. And so Deborah had to bottom of the barrel, we'll scrape the scraps yep. and use a woman to lead yep. during this time. Yeah, absolutely. And multiple, multiple times in my experience, I've heard it said, even from a pulpit, mm-hmm. like what this story is trying to teach us is just how stupid things can get when men don't lead. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, just take a look at the story. Yeah. Like it begins in verse four. Now, Deborah, a prophet, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, we'll come back to that, <laughs> yep. um, was leading Israel at this time. Th- that is what is said. Yes. And she held court. Uh, and it says where and what she did. Yep. And then... So and she so she's leading for for an extended period of time, mm-hmm. and then we zoom into like a bit of history when there's a war, and there's a need for like military leadership, vision, hope, um, encouragement, faith, like all of these things, which she becomes a source of. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but her being a leader is not a reaction in a time of crisis to a failure of male leadership. Yep. She was an established leader, yep. maybe decades before the crisis even came. Mm-hmm. And it, it is significant um, when they introduce her. The first thing they introduce her is her function before her association with her male counterpart. Oftentimes we see in the scripture, if a man is being mentioned, he's the son of this, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And oftentimes women will get introduced either as uh, the daughter or the wife of. And yeah. so their their identity is always linked to their male counterpart, which is just an indication of patriarchy. Yes. And um, it does mention it, but it's it's the third thing we learn about yes. her, not the first thing we learn about we heard, her. We find her name, yeah. her, her, her function and contribution. Yeah, her role, yeah. And then who she, you know who she's connected to. And then what she was doing, which was leading... Israel at the time, not because there were no other men left, not because it was a reaction to crisis, all the things that Richard and I have mentioned. And we don't find that in the text. And so it bums me out that we framed up a story that feels so explicitly, uh, I, I don't know, There's it doesn't seem like there's a huge question around her leadership from the text. Yeah. And we have somehow taken this text and explained it away to justify something that maybe we were uncomfortable with or don't agree with yeah. at the time. And, and there is still a shade of like the, the difference, but it's not about her leadership, but it's about her kind of courage in military prowess. Yes. That emerges in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's definitely a shade of like, you can see some gender differentiation, differentiation in expected roles where she's yes. like, Hey, for me to go on the battlefield and be brave enough to be like, I know there's arrows and spears flying around, but let's go that way. That was still unusual. Yes. But that's the thing that was unusual that is called out as being unusual. <laughs> right, not, not, not all the of fact it. that she's a leader who's a prophet. Mm-hmm. That is just an established mm-hmm. part of, mm-hmm. of who she is. Yep. And so often people can, I don't know, just wrap up the entirety of her being in the little bit of like, aren't you guys embarrassed that I'm going to have to go do this bit as well? And, you know, like also be general of the army. 
yeah. or something like that. Yeah. You know, right. Like that somehow becomes, aren't you embarrassed that I'm even here at all? Right. Right. You know, present talking. <laughs> And I think it's also significant too. So, you know, that her, her leadership is highlighted, her role is highlighted and it also, it also highlights partnership. So she, you know, is working with Brock. Brock is looking to her leadership. If you go with me, I'll go. If you don't go with me, I won't go. He's looking to her for leadership, but, but she's taking the opportunity to partner with him. Mm -hmm. There's a glimpse of Genesis one and two kind of breaking through an otherwise countercultural male dominant power struggle. Uh, moment you continue on in the story and actually just on that it's like yeah. that's such a good move the needle moment mm-hmm. like can women be strong and courageous on a battlefield like do women have to be timid or just like right, right. Uh, yada 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 um it it doesn't say that so that's descriptive mm-hmm. you know so so there is some like oh i wonder what's going on there um and so, yeah, we have we don't have the kind of partnership that's the Genesis ideal of like subduing, exercising authority is like completely equal. But we do have a partnership where the different ways that power exercise leadership needs to be exercised is being distributed between these two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and it just in this partnership happens that some more of the like prophetic uh, leadership yep. is. Deborah's role yep. in this partnership, yep. um, which is countercultural in the ancient Near East, but I mean, just to look to the modern world, the sort of idea that, you know, men ideate and women make it happen. Mm, yes. You know, like in the business world, you know, mm-hmm. the men, men are the entrepreneurs, women are the secretaries. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just that we have such an enduring gender bias mm-hmm. in that direction. Deborah's. Um, yeah, it should get us thinking not just about what God was doing in the Old Testament, but it's a really good one for getting us think about like loads of history. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Sorry, I was going to interrupt and say one thing, and I just like no, that's got okay. Going. You got excited. That's great. <laughs> no, the last thing I just want to point out is there's another woman highlighter named Jael, and she kind of like ties a bow on this whole story yep. and is the ultimate. Uh, defeater of the very thing that they were trying to yeah. accomplish, and so it book it's book ended by uh, women who are portrayed as competent and capable yeah. and successful in the context that they were existing yeah. in. And I've got jail written down. I'm okay. so glad you mentioned okay. that. So you can you can yeah the 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 one thing about like Deborah being like, isn't it kind of weird that I am going to go like win the battle? Um, and like, yeah, I wonder what sort of gender thing is going on there. Yeah, maybe, sure. maybe there's something, but but that's all it could be. The fact that the battle eventually is won by a woman. Yeah. It kind of, it, it does, it's sort of, it, I don't know, a good way to synthesize all the data would be more, not, Deborah doesn't really think she should go out on the battlefield here. Not because she's a woman. Yeah. Like that may not be the biggest deal. Right. Because there's, I, I, yeah, there's, the, the story's been told in a way that it's trying to push our buttons yes. to help us realize that the role of women in the story, even just in the battlefield bit, which may reflect some patriarchal kind of uh, role demands, even that part of patriarchy, even though we don't have like a strong established example of like change and the needle being moved like we do with leadership, mm-hmm is still something that there's an irony in the story that's supposed to make us think, hmm, yeah, yeah, that's probably something that's a bit weird as well. Yep. And and it 
like got all the earmarks of like <laughs> sounds descriptive, not normative. Yes. Yeah. It, and she's a prophet, so I also think there's probably a level of you know she is discerning God's direction and obedience yeah. on behalf of Israel, yeah. and so if if she se- and, seems uh, not, and to be clear, not just discerning, but God speaks to her. Yeah. Yeah. When he wants to speak to his people. Yes. He's like, hey, I'm going to go to yes. you and speak to yes. you. Yes. Yeah. In, in which case, I, I think the, any, any move she's making here, I, I, again, this is not what the text says, so I want to be cautious, but I'm curious about whether or not there's direction from God being given because, you know, God wants to take her this way. And so, yeah. and he wants Barack to go this direction. Like she, she's still leading. Yeah even by deploying Barack to be the one that is front-facing leading the army. Yeah, because leadership doesn't mean doing everything doing yourself. Doing everything yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But jail, and, you were excited. Well, and that was jail. I think we said enough about okay, jail. Okay. But and I, just a methodological point, like both of us have expressed some, yeah, I don't know, it makes you think. You know, and, and that just shows we're not going to solve all yeah. of our theology about what God's doing, how he's moving the needle, yep. what his ideals are by looking yep. at one text. So we notice some things like are really clear, like, oh, women can be leaders. Like that's something God establishes that's really countercultural. Really so countercultural. That's, that's a move the needle moment we notice. Yep. And we're left with some questions and we write those down and we keep looking at the rest of the Bible. And as we go, sometimes somewhere else, putting two and two together, the jigsaw kind of comes together. And yep. We, yeah. Yep. So we're not going to get all of our theology just from Judges 4. Right. But you mentioned prophets. So I was going to mm-hmm. go shout out. Exodus 15, Miriam. Uh So she is another prophet and someone God uses to powerfully, like at a a massive mission critical moment as Israel emerges from the Red Sea to begin being a different type of people. Like this is a state of the union address moment. You know, like let's lay a foundation, let's speak in a really important moment. Mm -hmm. And she's called a prophet. And and you know declares uh, over the nation uh, yep. some of what God has to say, yep. and then Second um, Kings twenty two we have Holder, who is another woman who's a prophet who plays a critical role in sort of something going on with the nation and the kings and mm-hmm. um, and that's an interesting one because she's got a role um, as a prophet at that point. I would say Miriam's got a role that's a bit more like sounds a bit more leaderish. Yeah. Like you're the leader and the prophet. Uh-huh. Holder is coming as a prophet to come and actually bring God's correction to a leader. So she's yes. got an authoritative prophetic, prophetic voice, voice to one of the nation's leaders. So I, I, the difference between those is kind of interesting as well. So women being prophets, God saying, I want to speak to the nation. I'm going to choose a woman. There's nothing about Miriam and Holder, not even in the slightest, that there were no men around God could get to listen to him. Yep. Anything like that. Right. It's it's not like, you know, when God calls Samuel and Eli clearly hasn't got a clue what's going on, so he has to speak to a child. You know, there's just none yeah. of that in these stories. Yeah. God just wants to use them and does. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, so I like those examples. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. You said Exodus 15 and Second Exodus 15 and Second Kings, Kings 22. 22. If you want okay. to look them up, okay. see see what it says and and read their stories because yeah. I mean, never mind the whole gender conversation. <laughs> There's great bits of the Bible as well. Yep. So um, I got another one. Yeah. Proverbs eight and nine, wisdom yes. is personified as a woman. Yes. Now, in our modern world, 
and by modern, I don't just mean today. I just mean like post-enlightenment modernity. By and large, like the seat of wisdom, the seat of like knowledge, political knowledge, academic knowledge, teaching, like these have been the purview of men, mm. not women. So the slap in the face to our modern culture that God being like, oh, I want to personify women, uh, some personify women, personify <laughs> wisdom, I'm going to do it by using female imagery. Yeah. It's just a slap, such a slap in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think looking at the modern world to sort of gauge, like just think, try to think through and imagine if you, li- you know, lived in the 1950s or the 1800s and, you know, um, just how weird it would be if you notice this in the scriptures. Be like, whoa, that's not what I expected, yeah. right? So that gives us like the emotional, cognitive mm-hmm. response of like, is this a, is this a move the needle to our modern world? Um, and, and I like that because that really helps us engage our imagination. And then we need to fill in the blank of like, okay, so who are the wise people? Who are the knowledge holders? Who are the, this is... Uh, these these are going to be our laws. These are going to be how we do things in yeah. the ancient Near East. Yeah, it was predominantly men. Mm-hmm. So very yeah. very similar situation. Yep. So the same sort of reaction we might have when we think if God had written Proverbs eight and nine to the nineteen fifties, they would have been like, whoa, yes, yeah, same thing. Yes. To ancient Israel, the fact that God said it this way, chose to express it this way to them, was another whoa moment. And not at all what they would have been expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's good. So, and um, another shout out to the Bible Project. They have a, a oh, wisdom yes. series. It's where, really good. Um, Michelle Jones, who's a local pastor here in the city of Portland, uh, actually narrates. She's kind of the voice of wisdom, of Lady Wisdom. Oh, I didn't know she did that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and they're incredible, but they they have uh, a woman narrating the the themes around proverbs and lady wisdom. Mm. So I would go check those out. Yeah. So if you want to see some of that imagery, you know, you can read Proverbs eight and nine, which yes, yeah, you should. But yeah, watch the Bible Project video mm-hmm. as well because then you'll get a nice memorable visualization of it as well. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we both have Abigail written down, or maybe you don't. No, I do. Okay. So Abigail, who's she? What's her story? First Samuel twenty five. Boom. Um, married to uh, a man named Nabal. Am I saying that right? N- Nabal? Do you say Nabal? I, I say, do you know what? No. Now you said that, I'm not sure what I say. Okay. I've and in Hebrew, it's probably, you know, but we don't want to get that much phlegm on the mics. Well, um, it's, yeah. it's something probably quite different. Yeah. Guttural. Nabal? Nabal? What did you say? I'm going to go with Nabal. Not that it even matters. No. Um, but he's not a good guy. No. He's... An idiot. <laughs> he's mean. And I mean, he's portrayed as just being like the most, you've got your head so far up your own ass, yeah. you haven't got an idea what's going on, <laughs> idiot. Um, yes. Just like pride and stupidity personified. Yes. And speaking of personification, if if, his, if pride and stupidity is personified by Nabal, Nabal I'm going to say Nabal, I think it's Nabal, uh, then Abigail is personifying wisdom yes and strategy and, and strength of character strength of character and courage yes boldness yes yes and I, and leadership again yes again. to take a stand uh-huh. to make a difference uh-huh. yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And that that contrast is something that the way this bit of the story is told, um, we are supposed to notice the contrast. Yeah. She is being celebrated yes. as an example of those things. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so David's trying to do a thing. Nabal should have, it would have been even not just righteous and right, but would have been advantageous for him yes. to do certain things. He was being an idiot. Abigail intercedes, yes. gets in the way yep. of the damage that was going to be done, yep. speaks truth, negotiates you know, on behalf of her, her tribe, her family. Yep. Um, Tries to bring honor to her family yeah. and tribe as well. by Even shows grace, like trying to protect her idiot husband. Yes. Um, yeah. And, you know, the little bit of like, I don't know, Hollywood ending is like he ends up dying and she actually then ends up marrying David. Yeah. So. And I think he dies of a heart attack. I was reading it this morning. Yeah. Or like some, some, like it's not that he was out at war and, you know, whatever, but he's, yeah. uh, let me find it real quick. And it's not that like the ultimate, yeah. uh, I don't know, reward for a woman would be marrying someone. It's more of a, she used to be connected to this kind of man. Yes. But now she's in partnership with this kind of man. With this, and yes. That she gets released from the idiot because of her courage and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's a little bit of the story yep. there that I really like as well. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, she's a good example. And and I think a great example of someone who wasn't in a position, yes. a role, an office of leadership, and but so who exercised. nevertheless exercised leadership. Mm-hmm. And it's um, yeah interesting to like read through the story and, you know, this is where reading a commentary alongside that's really good on history might help. Mm-hmm. Um, but just thinking like, would what she did be perceived by just people in the ancient Near East, but then especially how her husband perceives her, mm. uh, of like a usurping of something, you know? Um, because there is a little bit of that, yeah. like in, in the culture, I mean, even his reaction, yeah. that's like, oh, I can't believe you did that. Mm-hmm. But uh, that, inside a cultural knowledge that we don't naturally have we have to go dig for and learn um even elevates then a a sort of contrast of like yeah but clearly in the scriptures here what god's trying to do is affirm that what she did was right yeah yes so even though a patriarchal culture may have condemned her for this God's celebrating her for this so that's another and there's quite a few women in scripture where that is an important detail mm-hmm. of like, look how God is counterculturally celebrating this person. Yes. Um, that is a real move the needle mm-hmm. awareness of how to respond to the stories of women in these ancient patriarchal cultures. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, we did, we did Proverbs 89. What about the Proverbs 31 woman? Yes. Which? Because the Proverbs 31 woman. How many women's conferences have you been invited to on the Proverbs Oof. 31 woman? Oof. Well, invited. Why? Well, I, I think I'm getting invited to a Proverbs 31 woman, and then I'm. Well, I'm going to be sassy for a second. I'm handed, well, that's good because I was about to be sassy. I handed a gardening set and a yes. homemaker's guide, and yeah. like, like it's. You it, go to a Proverbs 31 conference, and are then told that what Proverbs one shows us is how women should be mothers at home, caring yeah. for. Uh, clothing their husbands and feeding their children. Which, by the way, are not bad things. No, and they're in there. And they're in there. It's, it's just, just not the only thing <laughs> in there. Finish 
the chapter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what are some of the countercultural things in Proverbs 31 that you notice? Well, and just to acknowledge real quick, the Tanakh order, so the order that the scriptures would yes. have been ordered in prior to the canon being the established. The way the Hebrews would have read the order of the books, yeah. Uh, is Proverbs 31 stops and Ruth 1 begins. Yeah. And uh, it's significant because they're trying to point at a parallel of yes. what 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 does this Proverbs 31 woman yes. look like? So let's talk Read about Ruth next yes. because she's also awesome. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me pull up uh, Proverbs 31. So while you're putting that up, I'm, I'm just, just going to throw out the countercultural. She's a businesswoman. Yes. She's an entrepreneur yep. running a business on the side mm-hmm. of also caring for her home. Yep. Not, uh, and, and actually there's um, like, we've had some examples like Deborah and Barak where it's like, oh, look at male and female in partnership. Here we've got a woman who's a wife, so there's a partnership, but actually part of her entrepreneurship is not like she's a businesswoman as in she is the secretary to her husband's business. But there's like... It, she makes the linen garments and she sells them. And she sells, so there's an independent <laughs> businesswoman. And so, supplies the merchants with sashes. Like she she is the CEO. Yeah, she is. She's, and yeah. the COO and the CFO and the... Yeah, she's running it herself, C- you know. And um, yeah, that that is uh, the the God is elevating that um, is really key. Um, I I think in the ancient Near East, women having a sort of running businesses from their homes was not as they didn't have like political p- power and mm-hmm. the same economic clout. Yes, um, but this. It, this isn't as big of a move the needle moment in the ancient Near East, mm-hmm. but this one sticks out because this is a massive move the needle yes. voice to the 1950s version of American ideals about women's role in society and business. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what marriage is about. Right. Yeah. Partnership. Yeah. So Proverbs 31. Um, and, and, oh, goodness. I My heart breaks over the amount of times I've heard people from the pulpit tend tell men that a biblical model of maleness in marriage is that you need to be the provider and the way you love your wife is that she knows you are providing for her and she doesn't need to provide like she she doesn't need to care about that because you've got it yeah what a what an insurmountable burden just practically 21st century cost of living yeah in portland oregon yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I, no. My mind, like my mind, has a hard time wrapping around the amount of pressure that my husband Jake would be crushed under the weight of by thinking that he had to yeah, pull in. I don't mind that as much because we're missionaries here, which means Anna and the kids can't legally work. Yeah. So we've lived, you know, for a bunch of time where I've just de facto had to be the only person who can earn yes income. Yes. Yeah, but I get, I get what you're saying. For me, it's just more of a, I, I hate when people say something is true and the scripture's just got so many clear examples. They're like, like no, that's, that's not what it that's says. That's just not what's happening. Yeah. But I, I'm, I've just had a lot of conversations with um, men in like the millennial generation mm. who I think are, I think that maybe the, the repercussions around that is the like already feeling like inadequate to be able to participate. Yeah. In a marriage, and then women who 
now have access to education and have passions and Mm -hmm. want to do things like business or psychology or, you know, anything, anything that they, that they have a passion for are like, are, are, are confused as to why they couldn't also contribute because that's what they are delighted to do. I think it's the, the, the black and white hard and fast male should be pulling in the income. Women should stay at home. Yeah. That is not prescribed by scripture. Nice. If that is a choice and, and it works for your family, not, it's beautiful. Like, it's not the nineteenth. It's not the Flintstones. Yeah, like the the economies of time and money uh-huh. are such that the feasibility of that is out of reach for most people. For most people, so they're, they're being, I don't know, given biblical pressure to be something unfeasible unnecessarily. Yes, because it's not well said. what the Bible says. And that's not even talking about single moms or single dads or like it's not even scratching the surface of maybe how we've unintentionally or intentionally marginalized the real people in our church. Because we've idealized for a weird ideal that a a 2.4 children marriage mortgage paid two cars stay at home wife. Yep. Yeah. There's just. Yeah. Uh Uh, And those ideals come from like what we hear in our pulpits, but also portrayals, like I joked about, it's not the Flintstones, but, and I love the Flintstones because I love <laughs> Hanna-Barbera cartoons and animation. But you do have to, like, if I watch it, the kids, we have to have conversations from time to time about, like, do you see, like, how ironic and weird that world was mm-hmm. that produced this cartoon, this yeah. portrayal of family life and expectations? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Proverbs 31. Whose turn is it? Oh, we said Ruth. Yeah, we said Ruth. Ruth it up. Yes. Is, are we you, landing you said, with Ruth? You, well, you said Ruth being the next book of the Bible in the Tanakh In the order. Tanakh Hebrew and Bible so we're order. Supposed to, we're supposed to read Proverbs 31 and then be like, whoa, look at what Ruth's doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is Ruth doing? Okay, hold on. And you'll find Ruth in Ruth. the book of Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really easy. <laughs> um. Well, I, I mean, it's a short book, so you could read up the whole thing. I think yep. it's a, a, a beautiful you, one, story. You can do it in one sitting. Really mm-hmm. easy to get the whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, what takes place is uh, Naomi, who is Ruth's mother-in-law, uh, goes through a significant amount of suffering. Her husband dies and is left with her two sons, um, who married Moabite women, so not Israelites. Um, one named... Orpa and the other Ruth and then uh, her sons also died and so she's left with no husband and no sons but her two daughters-in-law. She's the destitute woman Uh we kind of portrayed a bit earlier, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. And is even says like you should rename me Mara because I'm bitter. Um, Or call call me Mara because... Without hope, without prospect. Yeah. Loses it. Orpa decides to go back home to Moab. Ruth, on the other hand... Uh, says where you go, I'm gonna go, and where you stay, I'm gonna stay. She demonstrates a a a type, a type of integrity and characteristic yeah. um, that she didn't have to in that situation. Yeah. The reason that kept her in that family was because of her husband. Her husband's now dead. This is not her mother. This is not her land. This is not her familiar space. Uh, and demonstrates loyalty and comfort and integrity to stick it out with Naomi. So her character is already being highlighted, not uh, in a 
I, we're, we're not trying to drive home any type of particular point around gender here, just wanting to elevate her, her character and her story because it's significant and it's in the Bible. Yeah, she's celebrated for those characteristics. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. You want to take chapter two? I don't know how, f- how far. No, I don't know how far we want to go here. It, I, I guess, um, and, and there, there's lots of things. There's a richness to this story. I used to have a habit of trying to read Ruth every Christmas, actually, because hmm. there's something about her courage in relationship, her loyalty of love Hmm. that I found really helped me meditate on God's love Hmm. in sending his son and his commitment to take on a hardship too. So it was like, it was my Christmas reading for about a decade. I haven't done it for the last few years. So 11 months from now, good recommendation. So recommendation, read Ruth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think one thing that sticks out to me is uh, as a countercultural move the needle thing she and Naomi are both initiators in the story. Mm-hmm. And the culture was one of uh, male initiation uh-huh. in relationship. Uh-huh. And not only are they initiators, but their initiating continues to be an expression of the celebration of their courage, their righteousness, their integrity mm-hmm. through the story. Mm-hmm. And so I I like that. I think that's a really move the needle moment of mm-hmm. like, whoa, God's not not just incidentally, but like a whole book dedicated to celebrating and, you know, something that happens. And so much of what happens is down to their initiation. Yeah. And that strikes me, especially because I've sat in marriage conferences and heard people say, Yes, part of male and femaleness is like the men should always be the initiators. Mm. I've heard those words more than once. Like that that male leadership, men should always be the initiators mm. in, in in courtship, in marriage, in date, like through and through. Yeah. And women should always just be responding to a male initiation. And this, it just knocks that on the head. Yeah. It's like, no, that's, that's not God's thing. Um, yes. And actually, incidentally, to this Mm -hmm. song of songs is a really good example of that Hmm. song of songs elevates the female in the relationship who is boldly initiating Mm -hmm. in like sex and romance in the relationship Mm -hmm. like so lots of levels of initiation there as well so that's that's yeah there's so so much in it but that would be one thing for me yeah really i think that's i think that's actually very important because i think I went to Bible University and um, some people joke that it's the Bridal Institute of Los Angeles. And um, more ironically, I did end up meeting my husband there and getting married. Yeah, you but can that laugh at that, I, but that's definitely what happened. It is what happened. <laughs> um, but another story for another time. I thought I was going to be single for the rest of my life, thought I was called to it, thought that's what God was asking me to do. So I didn't intend to, uh, I didn't intend to attend the Bridal Institute of Los Angeles, but it didn't end up happening. That should be a poem. That sounds like the beginning of a haiku. <laughs> I didn't intend to attend. <laughs> we'll have to figure the rest of that out. Yeah, exactly. Um, what was I even saying? This is what I was saying. I was saying that the joke, the running joke is that like all the women were Ruth and were just waiting for our Boaz to yes. come and whisk us off our feet or whatever the cute so sayings you're all, are. So you know, going and lying at the foot of the bed of the guys in yes. the dorms every night yes, stuff like exactly. that yeah uh, freaking them out yeah no but there was a there was a level of expectation of just like sit and 
be good yeah. and they'll come and rescue yeah. you. And that's not the full brevity of the story. There is a level of acknowledging her um, outsiderness, her poverty, her need for work and food. In which case he is in a man filled with integrity and does do some of the rescuing in that bit. Yeah. But for Disney her to assess mentality. Yes. It's it is not it is not the hopeless, incapable need a man to rescue, rescue and fulfill yeah. every And desire. there's like important words to put to that as themes in patriarchy that you definitely see being pushed back on scripture is the idea that men are active and women are passive. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of active women yep. in the scriptures, yep. and and uh, an unusual amount of active women, Old and New Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. we're gonna run out of time. Yeah, I um, think that that feels like a. <laughs> I, I I'm just gonna like one that struck me, and it's kind of a fun one because it's a negative example. Oh, okay. Oh, is I know where we're going. Jezebel. Yeah. And so, uh, Ahab is the king. And he is pointed at, um, and this is First uh, Kings 16, I think, 15, 16, around there. There's quite a few chapters. There's like three, four, five chapters on Ahab. Um, but the intro is like, no one pissed God off more than Ahab did. Like that's, yeah. that's the kind of tone. Yeah, yeah. And he married Jezebel, who was an outsider to Israel, and he kind of started um, worshipping her gods too and tried mm. to sort of blend the worship of Baal and Ashtaroth and things yes. like that yep. with the worship of Israel. Yep. Yep. And all sorts of stuff goes wrong. Um, there's like a little moment of beauty in the story where he humbles himself for a moment and God's like, that's really good. Um, which is, I, I love for the possibility of redemption, even in the darkest human. Um, but Jezebel's just like this conniving, pulling the strings in the background, just like getting him to get people murdered, just do all sorts of horrific stuff. And I think one of the things that's really telling, given that there is so much commentary Mm. on the dynamics of Ahab, Jezebel, and what they do, and multiple times that prophets come and say, like, God says this is the problem. Mm. It's really telling, especially in the ancient Near East, that at no point does God say, you shouldn't be listening to her. You should be calling the shots. Mm. Put that woman in her place or blame her or, uh-huh. you know, it, God just sort of treats these people as like, yeah, you're married and you're in conversation and influencing each other. There's a partnership. What I have issue with is that the things you think, the attitudes you take and the things you do. Hmm. The nature of this being a partnership where she's wielding massive influence is just so I and there's yeah. quite a few examples like that in scripture where there's I don't know if we had a particular theology mm-hmm. of like oh I think God just like really has a problem with women exercising influence being active being leaders things like that um, it's really strange that God doesn't pick men up on that yeah so that's one example of like another thing to look for yeah. in the Bible that helps us spot the move the needle stuff yeah so that was a little different one yeah yeah. yeah. Even though she's portrayed as negative, the yeah. the type of negativity being portrayed maybe needs to be adjusted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and what the nature of the problem as God identifies it is is mm-hmm. not to do with the gender roles in the relationship at all. Mm-hmm. It's not even mentioned. Mm-hmm. And there's so so much opportunity in that story for it to be mentioned. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I also, uh, oh, you got one more? Well, I just have one that it's a pastoral note, so it felt like okay. a good way to end. Well, let me just, can I just, yes. like, a bit more yep. people we haven't mentioned. Yep. Okay. Esther. Mm, yeah. Okay. Book of Esther. Like, she exercised, she's the, another, another one where it's like, whoa, a whole book to celebrate someone. What are they doing? They're exercising massive political influence to save an entire nation as a woman. Mm-hmm. Like the the elevation of a woman mm-hmm. as a hero of a nation yeah. says something massive about a moving of the needle. Yes. Uh, you've got in Second Kings 11, Athaliah, who is queen. Israel had queens. Queen. There was space for that. Um, and then Second uh, Samuel 14 and for a few chapters afterwards, you have um, a wise woman. And she's not called a prophet, but she's actually sent for as like, hey, we need to hear from the wise woman and it turns out she's also a civic leader. Mm. So yeah. women in a role of civic leadership and being looked to, not but and I actually like the distinguishing, like I don't think she was being called a prophet. Yeah. She was just wise. She had insight as a civic leader, like she had a finger on the pulse and she had wisdom to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to hear what she had to say. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's another one. Um, and then the another massive countercultural thing, and you see it like uh, Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, you see it at the beginning of Proverbs, is that children are to obey and honour both parents. Yes. The elevation of a mother's role in rearing children um, to be obeyed, to have like an authoritative yes. shaping voice um, is not just great, but in the ancient Near East, massively countercultural. Yeah. Um, where really the fathers wielded like 99% of the the influence. The influ- uh, on, 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 uh, yeah, the authority and those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so just because they're all things I'm like, this is awesome. I wanted to, I'll put those out there yep. as more of a list and I'll put them in the notes and they're bits of the Bible you can go read, have a little think about. Yeah. But then now, because it'd be nice to finish on the pastoral note. Yes. Bring us home. Um, and I, this is less even know if it would be less of a move the needle moment i think that there's a, an, a strong argument that this is a moving of the needle but i think um just acknowledging that where maybe the centuries of hurt and abuse that maybe have emerged from the church by way of not seeing women acknowledging women and honoring women for the important role that they play in mm. partnership in the kingdom of god the story of hagar comes to mind yeah, yes. So she's um I use I use a little bit of stronger language just based on some of the studies that I've done around this. Um so full disclosure, um I, I would consider what takes place here as, as rape, um, because she did not have choice in the matter. She did not have rights in the matter, she was yeah, a it's slave. A, it's, it's a sort of Social hierarchy, weird ancient Near East servant dynamics, mandated rape. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. it's yeah. a yes. Yeah, and it's, it's like it's like saying, "Oh, that woman was raped. Isn't that tragic? That woman was raped. Oh, but she was kind of their slave, so that's not as bad." Hmm. Right? Maybe that doesn't sound right. Maybe we shouldn't say that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Um. But she was um, a handmaiden of Sarah or Sarai, who later becomes Sarah, uh, in the Abraham story. And Abraham is promised a son, and Abraham and Sarah are very excited about this. Take 
the promise of God and try to accomplish it for themselves in a timing and a pace that they were more comfortable with by trying to move God's hand. And she commands Hagar to be raped by Abraham. A son is born. His name is Ishmael. God explains this is not what I meant mm-hmm. when this is I how said, I want to do this. Yes. Yeah. Um, which I think in and of itself speaks to like this is not how I wanted like a covenant and a redemptive story to be started out yeah. through for and a good victim. example of the difference between the prescriptive descriptive. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but what ends up happening is, uh, you know, Hagar and Ishmael. Read the whole story. There's Genesis 16, 20, um, all the way through to 21. It is it, yeah. it's an, an important pillar in the in our um, Old Testament story of God um, arc. But uh, she ends up being basically just like cast aside because her and her son um, are imposing maybe insecurity and threat on Sarah. And there's like a, a just a dynamic taking place, and Sarah wants her out. Um, and Hagar is is just pushed to the side with her son Ishmael yeah. and is alone. She gets abused and used and then yep. cast out. Tossed out like garbage. Yeah. Um, and there's this beautiful moment where the God who sees um, is what he is called, Elroy, the God who yeah. sees uh, her and acknowledges her pain as she's crying out and is confused and feels like she's been used, abused, and set aside as trash. And then he establishes like Ishmael as like an entire, like they, that's where the genesis of a, a nation is born. The Ishmaelites, which, you know, later turn um, into like... Um, yeah, the, it's not all happy endings. No, no. no but <laughs> but However, there's good stuff along the way as well. Yeah, they, they become a little bit of an enemy nation. Yeah. Uh, however... I think there's something in this moment to acknowledge that not only does God see her, care for her, comfort her in her pain, mm. reminding her that you know that she has value and worth and identity as a woman, regardless of what has been spoken and done to her, but He also like uses the story to set a, a trajectory in a new direction, and I think that that is it is. That's Beautiful. so important. The Israelites also were not like all that great, uh, oftentimes as well. So yeah, it's, it's it's not like they did a bang up yeah, job it's of not like Israel was great, and then the Ishmaelites were the the worst. Yeah. It's all way more nuanced than yeah. that. But, However, but, the, but that key of like, how does God reveal Himself to a woman in this situation? Mm-hmm. I'm the God who sees you yep. in the midst of a culture that wouldn't have turned, wouldn't bat an eyelid to how she was treated, yep. and God wanted like puts a stake in the ground and says, I notice. Yep. And for anyone, male or female, yep. for any reason, feeling traumatized, mm-hmm. ostracized, excluded, hurt, um, but, but especially in, around some of the issues we're talking mm-hmm. about. By God's people. Yes. Like this, but the, the bottom line is like, this is how God's going to treat yep. you. We need to like work at becoming a people who can fall in line mm-hmm. with God's heart yes. and like grow in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So that's a bright shining light. Yes. All right. That was well. That's plenty. a lot. Well done of listening for listening, everyone. Uh, on Monday, we will 
uh, have the next installment of the class. We're going to uh-huh. dive into the New Testament. We're going to have two weeks on the New Testament, so there'll be lots of stuff on the podcast if you can't make it to the class. If you can, it's awesome because you get to hang out with us and ask questions and mm-hmm. have a voice in the room, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And then we'll probably run out of time in the classes and have some more follow-up podcasts like this to cover extra things yeah. as well. So, yeah, yeah this would be a bit of a theme yeah. on the podcast for a few weeks. So I yeah. hope you're enjoying it and it's getting you thinking. So catch you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by Jesus Church College based at Westside Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.